Hi everyone and a very warm welcome to the Dr. Christian Heim podcast. Hey, we're really happy you joined us. My name's Caroline Heim and I'm sitting here with Dr. Christian Heim and today we're going to be talking about what's depression and prevent it with love and friendship. So this is actually part of a series on how to prevent depression in your life. So welcome to our first podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Okay, Christian, so let's get going with this. How much of a problem is depression? Depression is a great problem. The World Health Organization now sees it as a number one cause of disability and non-fatal disease in the world. That basically means that it's the biggest problem. Some statistics are always helpful. Each year, about 4% of people will experience clinical depression. In a lifetime, 20% of people will experience clinical depression. It's particularly bad in young people. In under 18-year-olds, for example, it's up 63% in a three-year period. And in under 35-year-olds, it's up 47% in the same three-year period. Look, um, in our adult population, about one in five people would be on an antidepressant. And unfortunately, the worst outcome of depression is suicide, which is the leading cause of death for young males in our society. It is so sad. In 2017, for example, in the USA, more than 47,000 people took their own lives. Now, that's a 4% increase in one year and a 33% increase in less than 20 years. Depression is a big problem. Wow, that's really sobering. So what is depression? So when we use the word depression, what we're actually talking about is clinical depression. And clinical depression is what we call a syndrome. And what a syndrome is, it's a characteristic picture that occurs commonly among a lot of people sharing common features. So what that means is there's something going on here and we better get to the bottom of it so that we can find out what to do. And it's been well described since Hippocrates' time and we've been refining what we mean by depression ever since. The problem with depression is we've got no test to see who has it or not and it's a subjective experience. Now, that's not as big of a problem as you may think because all of life is actually a subjective experience, but we define depression by specific features that it has. Okay, so what are the features of depression? Okay, to talk about the features of depression, I'll talk to you about somebody I saw just a few weeks ago, and I will call her Tamina. Tamina is 38, and she works in a firm as a paralegal. Look, when I saw Tamina, she was hunched over, her shoulders were drooped, she had this big furrowed brow on her face. Now, she didn't cry and she took time to answer me. She was moving slowly and, if anything, she was bewildered. When I got to talk to her, it was clear that her mood was really down. Her thinking had changed. Firstly, it seemed like she was thinking less, and the thoughts that she had just kept going round and round in her head. She started to think that she was a burden on people. She felt hopeless and helpless, and her body patterns had changed. She was sleeping badly. She was eating more, even though she had no appetite, and she had very little energy. But the most striking thing was there was no joy, no joie de vivre. And look, in a way, we all feel joy just at being alive. Or we feel that we should feel joy at being alive. That's what we're supposed to strive for. And somehow, in people like Tamina, who experience depression, this can be gone. 
Now, having said that, in my clinical practice, not everybody has those classical features of depression. Some are just really angry. Some people are really irritated. Some people look okay, and they're actually depressed. And a lot of people look okay, and guess what? They're okay. Some people are dejected, some are demoralized, some really feel scared and anxious, and some are really just perplexed. And what I see a lot of in our society, particularly where I am at the moment, is people putting on a brave face. Stoicism. It's feeling depressed inside, but not showing it, and yet they are depressed. Okay, so sometimes I get really sad. So what's the difference between depression and just normal sadness? All right, now the main difference is actually the time factor. Um, I can feel sad for hours, you could feel sad for days, but that doesn't mean that you're depressed. Depression tends to go on for weeks rather than hours or days. And if you're sad, you tend to be sad about one thing, or you know it's basically one thing that's getting you down. Uh, Tamina, for example, uh, she was down because she was being bullied in her office. Now, the trouble was that that reminded her of uh, some really severe bullying she got at school when she was really young. And so that triggered off a cascade of events in her brain that meant that she got a clinical depression. The other thing is when you're down and you're sad, you can usually be cheered up by friends, seeing a movie, having some fun. But depression, that's often not the case. Okay, so you're talking about things being triggered in the brain. What, what actually happens in the brain with depression? We now know that depression tends to be associated with brain chemicals being depleted. So I'm talking firstly about serotonin. Now, serotonin is a calming drug. If you like, it's what keeps us chilled. It gives us that feeling of well-being. It helps us sleep. It helps our appetite. Uh, it's a well-known phenomenon that people who meditate can increase their serotonin levels. And this is why meditation has become such a big thing in our society for well-being and feeling calm because it raises serotonin levels. Now, we also know that our antidepressants raise serotonin levels. So that's pretty well known. The other chemical that's well known is noradrenaline or sometimes called norepinephrine. It means the same sort of thing, but this is the chemical in the brain that keeps us alert, keeps us aware, makes your brain sharp, makes you focused and your memory working. It keeps you vigilant and it gives you energy. It makes you feel like you're on top of things. And a lot of people with depression feel that they just don't have this feeling of being sharp. And the other brain chemical I want to talk about is dopamine. Now, dopamine mediates our feelings of pleasure. Anything that gives us pleasure from food to making a sale to enjoying a movie, enjoying being with family and friends, or even just liking hearing that ringtone on your phone is mediated by dopamine. Now, things are not that simple in the brain, and all of these and more brain chemicals actually work together. <laughs> so every time I get that ding, I get a Dopamine hit, really. That's right. Okay, so is it just a, a chemical imbalance in the brain then? Depression is called a chemical imbalance, and this is a useful term, but what it does, it simplifies a very complex process, and we're only just beginning to unravel what is actually going on in the brain in depression. So yes, it is a chemical imbalance, but no, it's not a chemical imbalance. Now, by calling it a chemical imbalance, we emphasize the medical aspect of depression. 
which is actually good. It gets people to see that depression is an illness. It's a disease process, just like heart disease. And this decreases the stigma associated with mental illness. And we'll talk more about stigma next episode. But here's the problem with calling it a chemical imbalance. You see, the chemicals in your brain go up and down all day long. Anything that makes you feel calm gives you energy or gives you pleasure. Things like sunshine or beauty or somebody else's smile is going to increase your serotonin levels, increase your dopamine levels, increase your noradrenaline levels. But things like a gloomy day being shouted at or being bitten by a cat is going to decrease your chemical in your brain just slightly. So things in our wonderful brain are really quite fluid. Trouble is, bigger things can affect us in a bigger way. So falling in love, winning a competition or getting a promotion, they feel good in a really big way. So they increase our feelings of well-being and the brain chemicals a lot. However, things like a relationship breakup or losing our job, that can get us down. We start to move into clinical depression or a chemical imbalance, if you like, if we get hit really hard and our brain chemicals are down and they stay down. Now, a chemical balance makes it sound like, oh my gosh, it's just some random thing. I've, I've, I've just been struck down by depression. I've just been struck by a chemical imbalance. I can't do anything about it. Now, the disadvantage is that this is a disempowering way of looking at depression. Because as I'm emphasizing in these podcasts, there are things that you can do to help prevent depression happening in your life. I want to emphasize that you're much more in control of your life and your brain chemicals than you realize. The choices you make, for example, are important and that's empowering. My goodness, do you hear that thunder outside? Okay, so what causes depression? Thunder. Thunder causes depression. No, it doesn't. But a gloomy day does feel a bit like depression. So it's kind of apt that we're here on a gloomy day talking about depression. Look, we don't actually like talking about what causes depression because depression is not a simple cause and effect relationship. Researchers and clinicians like myself like to talk about risk factors and having risk factors increases your likelihood of getting depression. Now, when I talk about these risk factors, if any of these apply to you, that doesn't mean that you're going to get depression. It's only a risk factor. So I'll talk about the difference between cause and risk factors. So let's talk about airplane crashes, right? Because they're relative rare events and they're rare events because air travel is so safe. However, because they're so safe, when something goes wrong, people look for the cause. It could be severe weather. It could be computer malfunction. It could be pirate error, but we're looking for something that goes wrong. Now let's look at something that involves risk rather than something going wrong. And for this, I'm going to use operating a chainsaw, all right? Now, there are a lot of risks with operating a chainsaw. You could cut your fingers. Pieces of wood could fly into your eye. Uh, you could lose control and do damage to something. So we have to manage the risk. And these are things that you can do. So not wearing gloves is a risk factor. So what can you do? You can wear gloves to protect your fingers. You can wear eyeglasses to protect your eyes. Or you can have legislation that bans people under the age of 18 from using the damn thing so that they don't do too much damage. 
That's managing risk. Now in depression, we do studies to find out what the risk factors are. Uh, and I'm going to talk a lot about heart disease because heart disease has been well studied. And so we know the seven main risk factors for heart disease. And we'll look at that a lot next episode. The thing about heart disease is we understand the heart, we can measure the heart, and we can observe the heart. It's a bit more difficult in depression because depression has to do with the mind and the emotions. And we can't see the mind and we can't see our emotions. We can't measure it directly. And that makes it really difficult to understand or observe. Okay, so you still haven't told me what are the risk factors of depression? Okay, so Caroline, what I'm introducing here today is my arrangement of the risk factors for depression. So as a clinician, this is what I see a lot of. Researchers would kind of agree with what I have here and other clinicians would agree. But when it comes down to the fine detail, there would be some variation. All right, so I'll give you my acronym for the risk factors for depression. The acronym is GP CALL. So general physician CALL. And the way to remember it is when you get too depressed or you think you have depression, GP CALL. All right, so the G is for genetics. The P is for personality. The C in call is for the word chronic. Now, by that I mean chronic illnesses, chronic pain, but most importantly, chronic stress. The A is for abuse that happens. It's also for alcohol. The first L is for life events. And I mean things like relationship breakup, unemployment, and losing your dreams, those bad things that happen in life. But it's also for the good things that happen in life. If you have a baby or you move house or you get a new job, that too is a stress and becomes a risk factor for depression. And the last L is the one that we're going to talk about a lot today, and that is a lack of love. So risk factors for depression, GP core, genetics personality, chronic, abuse and alcohol, life events, and a lack of love. Okay, Christian, I need some details. Some details? All right, so let's go through some of the details of my acronym for the depression risk factors, GP CALL. The G is for genetics. Now, you see, everybody knows that one, but there's nothing they can do about it. And so all that happens is people worry rather than improve their lives. If you have a parent with depression, there is a 10 to 20% risk that you may end up with depression, increased risk, right? If you have an identical twin with depression, there might be up to 50%. We used to think that females had more depression than males, but all that we find out is that males are not going to see people about it. Personality, the P. There are a couple of personality types that are a risk factor for depression. People who are perfectionistic and critical of themselves or are highly sensitive. Now, people who are perfectionistic or self-critical is about anybody who's high achieving, anybody who wants to become a sports star, a musical star, or excel academically or at anything has to be something of a perfectionist and be self-critical. So really, that's a high-functioning personality type. Chronic illness. Illnesses hurt. 
illnesses, well, what illnesses do is they threaten your very being. So that becomes a risk factor for uh, depression, particularly things like epilepsy and cancer or personality disorders. Pain, pain is always a downer. It just hurts even to see some people in pain. And chronic stress, which is a lot of what we experience in modern day living, also becomes a risk factor for depression. And in the third of this series, we will look particularly at the chronic stress of modern day living. Then there's a sad fact of abuse. And unfortunately, this is where I get to see a lot of people, people who have had terrible childhoods, being bullied, neglected, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. There's just far too much of it in our society. And it's one of those risk factors for depression. A lot of those people turn to alcohol, which is the other A. And look, enjoy your alcohol, but enjoy it within limits because alcohol is what we call depressogenic. In other words, drinking alcohol can get you down. Then there's life events. Now, we know that life events like breaking up in a relationship, being unemployed or losing your status uh, get you down. Uh, But what they do is they give you this sense of learned helplessness, particularly if you've had a lot of it in your life. And look, there were those experiments from last century where they, they zapped dogs with electrical shocks. And the dogs tried to get away, but once they realized that they were just getting zapped too many times and they couldn't do anything about it, they just lay there helplessly. And what we learn from that is any of us can get to the stage where we've been zapped by life too many times. But here's a strange thing. Even good stuff in life is a risk factor for depression. Now, if you, for example, move house or move city, you may be excited about that, but the change becomes a risk factor for depression. It puts more stress on you. If you get a new job or a promotion, hey, you're all excited about that, but you're under new stresses, okay? And it's also unfamiliar. That becomes a risk factor for depression. And we know that anybody who has a baby experiences a lot of joy, but you know what? You're going to have this human being dependent on you for the rest of your life. So that becomes a stress as well. And retirement becomes a stress. So even though they're good things, they can become risk factors for depression. And there's the one for, the, for today, the lack of love. Now, the thing about this is that we know in depression that if somebody is surrounded by love, they're going to get better quickly. If they do not have supporting, loving people around them, the recovery takes a lot more time. So it makes sense that having love is protective in depression. But if we look at today's society, isolation, despair, lack of meaning, lack of purpose, uncertainty, making comparisons, you know, it's all basically a lack of love. Okay, yeah. Look, now this sounds really silly, but is depression my fault? No, of course not, Caroline. Depression is never your fault. Look, unless you said, I'm going to do what I can to get depressed, all right? And nobody actually does that. It's like asking, okay, What are you going to do to get heart disease? What can you do to get out there and make your heart as terrible as possible? And nobody actually does that. Nobody wants heart disease and nobody wants to be depressed. But there are some steps that you can take to decrease your risk of depression, just like there are steps that you can take to decrease your risk of heart disease. For example, we know that smoking becomes a risk factor for having a heart attack. 
Now, if you have a heart attack, you do what you can to give up smoking. Now, look, we know that giving up smoking is difficult, but we still encourage everybody to give up smoking. But that's empowering because you can do something about it. So if you think in terms of the risk factors of depression and what you can do about it, when you see the signs, you do what you can. So if I've got a friend that's a little bit down um, or if I'm feeling really down, how do I know when it's time for someone like me or anyone else to see a doctor for depression? This is actually one of the most difficult questions that people face. When do I go see a doctor? Now, I know it's the right thing to see a doctor, but can I just cope with this by myself? Most of the time, you actually can because the human spirit is resilient. We are actually able to cope with so many stressors. The human spirit is amazing. However, if it gets to the stage where your functioning is down, so you're just not turning up to work, your studies are just going by the wayside, you're failing at university, or if it gets to the stage where you're isolating yourself, you're keeping away from people rather than staying with them, or if you're worried, that's the time to talk. That's the time to go to a doctor and talk. Same with a friend. If you find those three things in a friend, that their function just isn't there, that they're isolating and keeping away from people, and you see, that's the thing. You've always got to ask, if you haven't seen somebody for a while, why haven't you? And you've actually actively got to call them, text them, whatever. Or if you're worried about them, the first thing to do is talk. Firstly, talk to them. Now, when you talk to them, it's actually really difficult to say, I'm worried about you, go see a doctor. First of all, what is your role? Your role is friend. So what you want to do is reinforce that role. I am here because I am your friend. You reinforce friendship and you reinforce trust. Trust is the main thing because everybody needs to save face because embarrassment and shame are such big issues. It is very difficult for people to admit that they may need help. So if you're a friend, you have to be on their side. You have to build a bridge, not a wall. You say that, look, I'm saying this because I care for you. Is there anything I can do to help? But I think you actually need to go and see somebody. So I'm go- I'm going to the doctor. How is depression diagnosed? The diagnosis of depression is actually a lot more refined than people realize. Firstly, the best person to diagnose is a doctor. Because you may not realize it, but the very first thing a doctor does is make sure that it isn't something physical. So most often, a doctor will do some blood tests to rule out anything that's physical because it's silly giving you some antidepressants if checking out your thyroid and treating that was the right thing to do. The other person to diagnose is a psychologist. Now, both these people, doctors and psychologists, have a lot of experience seeing a lot of people with depression. Caroline, in my years of being a psychiatrist, I have seen thousands and thousands of people and depression is the most common thing. I have, unfortunately, so much experience in seeing depression, I can recognize it. Here's the problem. If you diagnose yourself and you go onto the internet and see all these criteria, you don't know how severe your depression is. You don't know what type of depression you 
have, and you may already go with some preconceived ideas to your doctor saying, this is what I need. It's like saying, okay, I've got an inguinal hernia, so I'm going to tell my doctor I need a laparoscopic, totally extra peritoneal mesh repair. And that's what he has to do. And you may actually be with a doctor that doesn't do that type of repair. You may be with a surgeon who does another type of repair really well. You may also be coming up with the wrong treatment for yourself. So here's the three things that I believe you have to do. One, don't diagnose yourself. However, go along to a doctor and say, I think I have depression. That's good. Secondly, the thing that you can do is go to the internet and find a Zung self-rating depression scale. Now, uh, when you feel like crap, dung, just get the dung and change the D to a Z, Zung, Z-U-N-G. That's what you look for. The Zung self-rating depression scale. It's actually Zung, but just so that it rhymes with dung, we'll call it Zung. And then the third thing you can do is trust your doctor. Your doctor has a medical degree and experience in seeing many, many people with depression. Trust your doctor and get them to diagnose you. So Dung Zung or Dung Zung is available on the internet, is it? Yes, it is. Okay, so what are the treatments for depression? Now, the treatments of depression really depend on whether you have a mild depression, a moderate depression, or a severe depression. And that's up to the doctor or the psychologist to decide. If you have a mild depression, then somebody may suggest that you go see a counsellor or a psychologist. If you have a moderate depression, then you're most likely going to be given an antidepressant and you'll probably be sent to a psychologist to work through a few things as well. If you have a severe depression, you may be put into hospital. You will get to see a psychiatrist and you will be given a broader range of medications and perhaps some brain stimulation. However, what we want is to help you prevent depression in your life. Yay, we're finally talking prevention. Finally. <laughs> so how can I help? Uh, best help prevent depression happening to me? Right. So here we go back to the risk factors, GP core, and I'm talking about the most important risk factor that you can do something about, and that is the lack of love. If a lack of love is a risk factor for depression, then finding love in your life is the biggest protective factor. And I'm not just talking about romantic love. I am talking about friendships. I am talking about your family. I'm talking about your community. I am talking about being part of people. We humans are social beings and we've got to take care of each other. All right. So finding love in your life is like wearing protective glasses with a chainsaw or wearing a seatbelt while you're driving. It is managing the most important risk factor. I do this in my life. The most protective person, the person that I share the most love with in this world is you, Caroline. And before I met you, it was my parents. Now, this simple pattern is the most usual pattern for everybody in our society. To attach to a person and before that person to be attached to parents. 
The trouble is we're now prolonging that time between attachment to parents and finding a permanent attachment. And there are a lot of people that are going through many decades without that attachment, and that becomes a risk factor for depression. It's called loneliness. So it sounds old fashioned, but because I want you to be well and enjoy life, I really want you to take care of the people in your life. So I use a little catchphrase that says your relationships are your greatest assets. Take care of your relationships. First of all, take care of your relationship with your mother. If you haven't spoken to her for a while, give her a call. Even if you have a difficult relationship with your mum, do all that you can to be in good relationship. She was the only person on earth that you are physically connected to. I have seen that physical connection when I have delivered babies. It is very strong. It is very complete. That's why the mother-child bond is so strong and so special. The next person in your life is the other person that gave you half of your DNA, your father. Do whatever you can to stay in good relationship with your father. Now, I know that some people's father or mother have already passed on. I also know that some people are adopted and they don't have that connection. However, you will have had adoptive parents or foster parents or somebody would have brought you up and poured their love into you to give you a go. Whoever those people are, keep in good relationship with them and try to understand them as best you can. Now, aside from all those people, next are your friends. Friends are very important, but we tend to take friends for granted. Good friends are hard to come by. So when you have friendships, take care of them. Make those phone calls. Get together. Seeing somebody in the flesh is worth 10,000 virtual friends on social media. Take care of your friends. Next are your colleagues. We spend so much time at work or a place of study or whatever we do going past the same people every day. Do what you can to be on good terms with them and try to share your life with them as much as you can. Then, of course, there are the passerbys, the people who we call strangers. Smile if and when you can. Now, I know that as a young woman, Sometimes you can't make eye contact with everybody, but wherever you can smile and make eye contact and have some friendly, kind words for another person, do it. Now, if you are in a love relationship, congratulations. You are one of the lucky ones. Do what you can to take care of that relationship. And we will have podcasts and blogs looking at a personal relationship. But here's the thing that I'm going to ask you to do first. Give the love first. Don't expect others to give the love to you first. You do it. You give the love first. But in a really busy world, it is so hard to take care of your relationships. It's time and all of that. That's exactly right. And this is why I'm going to spend a whole episode on why modern living contributes to depression because we are in a busy world. There are so many things that are taking our attention and we have taken our relationships for granted. We have taken our parents, our friends, our colleagues and everybody for granted. Here's the bottom line. In business, we have put 
our productivity over people instead of people over productivity. So if we could just turn that little thing around and become people people rather than task people, or if we could find a balance, then we'd be doing what we could to decrease our risk of depression. We have to take time. It is going to take time. It's not quality time, it's quantity time. We're going to have to look at our priorities and put people higher up on our priority list if we want to be happy, if we want to be enjoying life. And look, the last thing I'll say is keep it real with people. I talked about getting together with people in the flesh. I also want to talk about being your real self. If you have even just one person in this life that you can be really yourself, then you will be sharing and you'll be doing what you can to increase your serotonin levels, your noradrenaline levels, your dopamine levels, and decreasing the risk factor for getting depression in your life. Hey, thanks so much for uh, spending this time with us. In the next episode, we're going to be looking more at depression and how to prevent it with exercise. Remember to take care of the people you love and that your relationships are your greatest assets.